your primary relationship is just not what it could be or should be. You're beefing with your best friend. You're not connected to your spouse like you have been in the past. You're struggling. There's drama. While you're trying to sift through that, the check engine light comes on. And then you get home and you realize that your son or daughter has a huge project due tomorrow that was assigned three months ago and they haven't started it yet. And you're not sure exactly what it is, but the dog has left something on the front steps. So in our household, that's called having a time of it. If I, you know, sometimes I'll just have a look on my face and Gail will be like, baby, what's the matter? And I'll say, just having a time of it. And she'll know right away that that just means there's a lot of stuff piled up on me and I'm feeling a little bit beat down by it. And as we continue in our study in the book of Acts, that's where the main figure in the back half of the book of Acts, that's where we find him. Paul is having a time of it. And we have been tracking with him through his travels. And I, I don't know about you guys, but I have kind of um, almost lost track. There's so many places and names. And um, so I, I went looking for some timelines and I found this one that hopefully will be helpful. I apologize for the small text, but I like this one because it's got the location, it's got the verse references, and then it's got the dates and the duration of how long Paul and Silas and Timothy and those guys were in each of these places. And so today, we are at that red line at the um, midway, kind of two-thirds of the way down there. Chapter 18 starts with Paul entering into Corinth. And so we got to look at all those places that he visited. And, you know, some, the author of Acts, Luke, he gives us more detail on some than others. But let's think about Paul's second missionary journey, right? He, he thought he was going to take off on this journey with his buddy, Barnabas. But they had a falling out. They had an argument right before they were about to leave, and they split, and they parted ways. Paul put a new team together, and then he's like, let's go to Asia. They, got, they couldn't get into Asia. Like, let's go to Bithynia. We couldn't get into Bithynia. So it kind of created this passageway, and they ended up in a city called Troas, where Paul has a vision of a man from Macedonia that says, please, please, come, come help us. We need your help. So they went across that little body of water, and they ended up in Macedonia in a city called Philippi. And they did. They helped people. They brought the love and the good news of Jesus to people who needed it. And in so doing, they changed lives, and they created a ruckus, and they got roughed up, and they got chased out of town. They went from Philippi to Thessalonica, which, by the way, my Greek mother told me I should make sure I'm pronouncing it correctly. The correct pronunciation is Thessaloniki. Thessaloniki. That's for you, Mom, okay? They did the exact same thing. They show up. They help people. They help people find Jesus. They change people's lives. They create a ruckus. They get roughed up. They get chased out of town. They go to Berea. They help people find Jesus. They change people's lives. They get roughed up. They get run out of town. Paul ends up in Athens. And in Athens, he carried, told us last week that um, Paul was greatly distressed by what he saw around him. It was the spiritual climate that greatly distressed him because he wanted people so desperately to know Jesus. And as he's leaving Athens, he's heading into Corinth. It's about 50 miles away from Athens. And we could surmise that he's probably figuring that he's going to experience more of the same. Um, and I wanted to kind of give you an idea of what he was heading into in Corinth. It's actually um, maybe even a little bit worse. So Corinth is on this little strip of land 
That is the map of, of Greece, what is now modern Greece. Uh, the northern part is called Macedonia back in the day. The lower part is called Achaia, and then Athens, and to the west of that is Corinth. Now, that big red um, curved arrow, that would be one way for people to sail from Asia or the, um, the eastern Mediterranean to get to the rest of Europe, to get to Italy. That added 200 miles to the trip, and it also was very dangerous. Sailing through those, those islands was dangerous for them at that time. Or they could follow that red arrow across this little strip, the isthmus that, um, that Corinth sits on. And so that Corinth became this center of everything. 100,000 100, plus people lived there. And because it was this port city and it was key to going east to west, um, it was full of commerce. It was full of money. It was um, just very, very diverse Corinth used to be a Greek city, and when it was a Greek city, it had a huge temple to the goddess Aphrodite, and Aphrodite was the goddess of love, and there were um, temple prostitutes at her temple, and Rome came in, they conquered the Greek city, and they destroyed the temple, but the prostitutes kept, um, kept up with their line of work. They just went out, into the, went out into the city, and it became so infamous in the ancient world that to say someone acted like a Corinthian meant that they kind of just did whatever they wanted to with whomever they wanted to, whenever they wanted to. Um, so it had a, a, a reputation. And this is what Paul is heading into. Um, lots of different gods and goddesses. There was a Jewish community there. So it's kind of like more of what he's seen, but only exaggerated. And so he's got this, this track record behind him. He's looking at this new city in front of him. And we don't, even, we don't even have to guess. We don't even have to imagine. We've been looking at the story of the early church through Acts, but we've been jumping into the letters, these, the rest of the New Testament. And that's been giving us this insight into how Paul feels about the people and the places that he's visited and how he's doing. So in the second chapter of his letter to the church in Corinth that he wrote five years after his visit, um, he said this. He said, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. So you guys, we put, up, um, we put up timelines, we put up maps. This stuff can feel sterile and like a, class, uh, a classroom. These were real people and they were working really hard and they were pouring their hearts out because they desperately wanted people to know Jesus. And they worked hard in difficult circumstances against great, great opposition. And so, um, you know, Paul wasn't the only biblical figure who uh, was trying to do God's work in hostile territory. Go throughout scripture, right? You go back to Moses. Moses, Moses pleaded with God, God, kill me, right? You have um, Job and uh, I think it was Jeremiah who um, cursed the day they were born. You have Jonah and Elijah who just wanted God to let them die. In the New Testament, there was Peter who was so discouraged by his own mistakes that he just wept bitterly. And then even Jesus, the night before he died, was so anxious that he sweat drops of blood. The, the biblical figures, authors, heroes became discouraged. Life can be hard, especially when you are trying to live with 
and for God and to make him known in a culture that just would rather you didn't. So if you are here with us today and you're watching this, whenever you're watching this and you are feeling beat up and you are feeling discouraged and you're having a time of it, I am here to tell you that God provides us with two great sources of encouragement, himself and his people. And that may seem simple and like not very much, but that's the God of the universe and all of his investment poured in to people for your benefit, for you, so that you might know him, so that you might experience him, so that you might live this life with him. And I get that idea from, um, I, we're talking about all of chapter 18, right? But if we look at these three verses that are in the middle of, um, of chapter 18, the rest of the chapter kind of supports what's going on here. Um, and this is, this is just something that happened to Paul while he was in Corinth. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack you and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. So Paul kind of went through some of those other places pretty quick. He was in Athens for a couple months. He was in Thessaloniki for a couple weeks. Um, but he lands in Corinth and he stays for 18 months, for a year and a half. I have, I've broken up uh, the chapter into three different chunks and I want to run through kind of the things that happened that God did directly to encourage Paul and that he did indirectly through others to encourage him. Very first couple of verses, Paul shows up and he meets these two people, Priscilla and Aquila. And in Priscilla and Aquila, um, well, first off, they got kicked out of Rome. They are followers of Jesus, Jewish followers of Jesus, who got kicked out of Rome by the emperor Claudius. Sound familiar? They, they were telling people about Jesus. They created a ruckus. They got chased out of town. So Paul's like, wow, these, these could be my people. They're tent makers. That's what they did for a living. They made tents. That's what Paul does for a living. They make tents. Paul, God brings these people who get Paul. They're like-minded. They have similar backgrounds, similar experiences, and he brings them together, and they're working together. They're working, working, making money, and they're also working trying to tell people about Jesus. The next thing that happens in the chapter is that Timothy and Silas show up. They stayed up north in Macedonia, and they show up, and they bring with them, they bring with them a financial gift from the people in Philippi, from the jailer, from Lydia, from the slave girl, for Paul. They, they gave him a gift, the people that he shared Jesus with. And so now he's able to back off the tent making a little bit and he can concentrate on going into the synagogues and teaching from the Old Testament and showing people how Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament scriptures. And finally, in this segment, this might be my favorite part of this segment. So Paul goes into the synagogue and he's teaching and he, they're kind of hanging with him for a while. But then the people in the synagogue get riled up and it says they become abusive to Paul. So he kind of shakes the dust off his feet and he, he walks out. Um, but the synagogue leader walks out with him and they go hang out at this guy's house next door to the synagogue. If I were Paul, I would have gone a little further away. But they went to the a house next door to the synagogue. And this guy Crispus becomes a follower of Jesus through Paul's teaching, the leader of the synagogue. I mean, the the... Um, success that that had to be to Paul in the face of such opposition. In the first eight verses, 
God provides Paul with like-minded co-workers. Through the people who Paul invested in, there's a gift that's given to him. That in itself, like regardless of whether it's financial or not, a gift from people who he led to Christ had to be so encouraging. And then Crispus, the leader of the Jewish people, comes to follow Jesus. God is doing amazing things and encouraging Paul here. The next section, there are kind of two pieces. There's Paul's vision, which we read those three verses. And then there's this guy, Galileo's, 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 not Galileo, that's somebody else, decision. In Paul's vision, God just tells him, he's like, I'm with you. We hear the refrain of scripture. I am always with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am ever present. I'm here. I'm here. That's God reminding Paul, I'm with you. And then um, in the very next set of verses, almost in, in, I could see God doing this as a confirmation. Like, look, Paul, I gave you this vision, but I want you to know I was serious. Paul's teaching. He gets the Jewish people all, all upset, and they drag him before this guy, Gallio, who is the Roman proconsul. And history tells us that he was, he was well-liked. He was highly thought of. He was wise. People respected his decisions, and people followed him because they liked the way that, that he led. Jewish people drag Paul in front of them, and they're all, they're all worked up. And they say, you got to, Galio, you got to do something. This guy is teaching stuff that he shouldn't be teaching. And Galio, Paul's getting ready to like, you know, do his thing. He's getting ready like, to um, defend his, his position. And Galio's like, just stop. All of you, just stop. If this, guy had done, if this guy, Paul, had done something serious, killed somebody, whatever, I would step in. This is not my deal. Whatever he wants to teach, I'm, I'm, whatever, the stuff he's been teaching, I'm good with. If, I don't know if you guys remember, a couple weeks ago, I, I shared the term with you, religio licita. That means it's a, a legitimate religion within the Roman Empire. This guy, Gallio, declares Christianity in Corinth, religio licita. That gave Paul the carte blanche to just preach. He didn't have to worry about the Roman officials stopping him, throwing him in jail, beating him up, any of that stuff that he had to worry about before. So, um, and kind of an interesting, like... Um, like benefit for us. So Paul, Paul has the vision from God confirmed by Gallio's decision. And then it, we, this guy, Gallio, we get encouragement in this too. I want to show you a picture of something. This is a tablet that um, the emperor at the time wrote to Gallio with some orders on it. The part that's highlighted in red is actually, it's, that it says Gallio. Um, and this, because of the emperor who wrote it, where it was written, where it was found, and who it was like we can place Gallio to the month in the year. I, now I forget. It's like fifty or 50, 51, 52. Um, but it's this specific, specific dating. We have this archaeological find that confirms what the Bible is saying. Like almost like to the week. Just amazing, amazing stuff. The way that God puts things together, and that Paul is encouraging. But all these years later, we could be encouraged by something like this archaeological find. All right. Last part of the, the chapter that I wanted to recap for you. Priscilla and Aquila are with Paul. He's there 18 months. They were teaching with him, you know, helping people find Jesus. And Paul's getting ready to leave. And Priscilla and Aquila, they go with him. They move with him. They get in a boat. And I, I think their next stop is actually Ephesus. Um, they, but as you read Paul's letters... They, didn't, they weren't just people to like split gas money with, right? They, these folks became really, really dear to Paul. 
the conclusions to several of his letters, he cites them and he wants people to know what great, you know, how he feels about them, what awesome people they are, what awesome work they've done for Jesus. So in, in all of these different ways, right, we see God providing encouragement for Paul. He does it directly, I am with you, and he does it through his people. I want to kind of pick that apart a little bit, right? So the biblical word encouragement literally means to, to come alongside, to come alongside, to support, to hold up, to prop up, to be there for somebody in physical proximity beside them. Um, and we think about Paul as he was traveling, as he was working, as he was pouring, he's like distressed and pouring on his heart and being physically beaten and thrown in jail. Um, God met him in the midst of that in ways that were so meaningful and, and specific to Paul so that Paul could do the next thing that God had for him to do. Paul was having a time of it. God saw it. God met him in the middle of that time and helped him take the next step. And, and that, like in one person's life, is a microcosm, a nutshell of what Jesus is for all of us, right? We are having, in, in, in the spiritual big picture sense, we're having a time of it, right? Because without, we're separated from God. And Jesus comes into time, comes into our world, comes alongside of us and says, I love you. I want to be with you. I want to restore that broken relationship with God. I want you to walk with me through this life and into eternity. The ultimate encouragement that we have is, is Jesus and his life on earth and his death and his resurrection for us on our, on our behalf. And just real quick, um, a comment on I have many people in this city. The One of the most important distinctives of the early church was, was this, is that they were known for the way they treated each other. They were known, um, I think it was Tertullian who said, see how they love one another. He was an ancient, ancient historian. See how they love one another. Jesus said, this is how people will know you're my disciples, the love that you have one for another. The, the church treated each other in such a way, they came alongside one another, that other people who weren't following Jesus took notice and were drawn to it. All right, so... We have these great examples of Paul in the midst of difficult times, God stepping in, God encouraging him. Um, so, but we still, right, we still experience discouragement. So how is it that we can access this encouragement from God? And not only that, but how can we um, allow God to work in us and through us so that we might be that encouragement to other people? And we use the phrase, look up, lean in, and reach out. So I figured I would shape it around those three things using Paul, you know, Paul's experience in uh, Acts chapter 18 in Corinth. As we think about looking up, I would encourage you to take all of your circumstances and bring them before God in prayer and ask God what he might be doing in those circumstances. Right? Think about Paul the last time... Um, he upset a Jewish community and they dragged him off somewhere. He like almost lost his life. He ended up in prison. He got beat up. A, he upset a group of people and they dragged him in front of Roman officials. And instead of that happening, right, I can, I can, you know, you can almost picture Paul's thoughts and prayers going through his head. 
Paul, what God gave Paul was that next decision, right? So we can't look at our circumstances from an earthly perspective. We got to bring them before God, ask what he's doing in that situation, and how, ask him to show himself, reveal himself to us. The other thing that we can do in terms of looking up to gain access to this encouragement from God, right? God is always present. He's always working. That means he's always encouraging. We just have to avail ourselves of it, is that we meditate on the past surprising successes, right? Paul had that surprising success with Crispus, the synagogue leader, coming to faith in Jesus. So if we find ourselves feeling down, feeling beaten up, having a time of it, we need to look back on those points in our lives when God came through, when we just were totally surprised by it and meditate on it, think on it. Remember how you felt when God came through in that, since that instance. And it will, it will build you, it will build you up. All right, so look in, we look, we look up to God, we lean in to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now I wanna give you two really tangible suggestions about how to do that. The first one um, relates to the gift that Paul got from the Philippian church, right? Those are people that he invested in and they in turn reached out to him with a financial gift, right? So I'm not, I'm not saying you have to give a financial gift. What I am asking you to do is to find the person and you, they might be like living in your house. You might see them every day. You might not have seen them for years, but I want you to get in touch with the person who was instrumental in leading you to Jesus and tell them, tell them that. Tell them they were, played a huge role in you coming to faith in Jesus. Say thank you to them. Tell them what Jesus has done in your life. You have no idea how encouraging that could be to that person. And you guys, we have the internet literally at our fingertips. If you haven't seen someone in a while, do a little cyber sleuthing, find them on Facebook, track them down, use Facebook Messenger, whatever you gotta do. Um, write an old school note, fill out a card, whatever you gotta do, get in touch with one of those people. That's a great way to lean in and to encourage somebody else. You wanna take that one step even further is when you're talking to that person, ask who led that person to Jesus and go get in touch with that person and tell them how grateful you are that they took the time to invest in somebody because two spiritual generations later, it paid off in huge dividends in your life. So the other part of that would be this. Another way to lean in to provide encouragement to our brothers and sisters is to share what God is doing in your life with them. Just like that video from CJ, right? Leanne was all encouraged after she heard that story. We wanted CJ... To, to share that with you guys so you could be encouraged. Um, we sat around the other night as a lead team and we just kind of shared some appreciations, things, experiences that we had where we felt God in the midst and moving and just were so grateful. And you guys, I was so inspired. I was so encouraged just listening to how other people um, experienced God, how God was at work in their lives. Those are two really practical, not difficult things that you can do. All right, this last one might be a little more challenging. And um, I'm not sure if I, oh, there we go. Sorry, I was looking at the slides. They weren't moving with me. Might be, take a little bit more courage, muster up a little bit more. Okay, I'm gonna do this. Um, 
having different conversations with different people, I, the, the level of anxiety and stress that we are all under right now is at historic proportions. Um, CDC says that 40% of American adults are wrestling with some sort of mental health issue. Um, I was having a conversation with a good friend the other day, and she was talking about her coworkers and how they are just like making these cocktails of their anxiety medications to try and like make it through a day. People are struggling. And we, we're, we're not exempt from that. It's not that like we're not struggling, but we have the God of the universe who has in our past come through in the clutch and we can share one of those stories. We can share what we do when we feel anxious. I know you guys, I know this might be a stretch for many of us, right? But we keep our ears open and the stories, like people are talking about it all the time, how they feel. And if you can share a story of God's movement in your life, just a small, specific story. Yeah, man, I feel you. I was like, I was totally freaking out about this stuff at the Capitol. But I, you know, this might sound weird, but I brought it before God and I prayed and I asked like, just that he would be that, he promises to be at peace. And I, like, I felt it. And sharing a story like that with somebody um, can bring them that encouragement, but also help draw them to faith in Jesus. So um, look up, lean in, and reach out. Paul was having a time of it. God came alongside of him and encouraged him directly and indirectly. And we have access to God and his encouragement and his people. We take the time to look up to lean in and to reach out. So um, I've been learning something recently, uh, and that's this, that if um, God is going to do something through you, he's going to do it in you first. And I had an experience a couple weeks ago that I wanted to share with you guys that um, is all about encouragement and how I was encouraged by an interaction that I had, um, that I had with God. And I want you to, um, I want you to receive this as I, I don't, God doesn't give us things just for us, right? I had this experience so I could share it with you guys so you might be encouraged. So I was doing a, a devotional and it was a, a thought exercise and it had me thinking about um, a gift that God had given me and how that made me feel and how that made God feel to, to give me that gift. And I was, you know, grateful and kind of going through that process. And the next prompt and the thought exercise was to think about a gift that I had given God. And I was like, who am I? Like, what? I don't have anything to give God. And I'm kind of having this conversation with God. And I'm like, God, I don't like, what, what could I, what could I give you? That would be, that would be a gift. And, um, I had this image, sorry. Um, you're familiar with Christmas Vacation, this might resonate with you, but there's a scene in Christmas Vacation where Clark Griswold goes into his boss's office and he has a Christmas present for him. And the boss is pretending to do something. He's like, uh, Mr. Shirley, have a little something for you. And the boss, without looking up, is like, put it over there with the other ones, Greaseball. And I'm thinking, I have this image, that's the image I have in my head, that, that that's how God feels about, about what I have to offer him. And he kind of... Um, and the way that he does smack me in the back of the head. He's like, no, <laughs> no, Tommy, you got it all wrong. You got it all wrong. 
the way that I feel about you and what you have to offer is like when a kid makes a macaroni necklace and gives it to his parent, right? A parent goes gaga like it's the crown jewels. That's how I feel about you, right? Are you guys, please hear me, listen to me. That's how Jesus feels about you. He wants to be with you. He doesn't just love you because he has to. He likes you and he wants to be with you.